Hey guys, welcome to the first official Hey Stranger podcast. I'm really excited that all of you guys are listening to this right now um, because this whole podcast, man, it's taken some time. It's a, a few months in the making. I wanted to start last month. It's currently February 2020, um, but things got a little bit crazy. Uh, I'm actually on this thing called the World Race, which is an 11-month trip to 11 different countries uh, doing mission work throughout the world, and that's part of the reason why I started this podcast because I knew I'd get a chance to meet some really, really amazing people, and that's exactly what's happened so far. So anyways, um, I wanted to, to take a minute to to thank you sincerely thank you for clicking on this podcast and giving me an opportunity to just sit down with strangers and for you to listen to it you as you guys know this podcast the whole point of it is to give people an opportunity who wouldn't normally get the opportunity to just share their stories about life and where they come from and what makes them truly come alive and so i have a really special podcast for you today uh, with a guy named kevin kevin and his wife anna are actually missionaries themselves and they work for an organization called adventures and missions and what Adventures and Missions is, is an organization that puts together mission trips uh, for 18 to 35-year-olds that run anywhere from a few months to 11 months in the field to 11 different countries. And that's actually, like I said, that's what I'm currently on is an 11-month mission trip to 11 different countries. And Kevin uh, is actually the base host for the San Jose, Costa Rica, uh, I guess, arm of the organization. And I'm currently sitting in one of the rooms of that base Looking out the window uh, is a beautiful mountain, uh, and it's just gorgeous. The sun is setting right now, and the sky is a whole bunch of different colors. And, you know, Kevin and Anna do a really amazing job of keeping this base up. Uh, they've been here for about a year, but you guys are going to hear a lot more about that in the podcast. We really dive into uh, life in the field for them. We even go into detail about how what it was like for Kevin growing up as uh, a son of two Canadian immigrants, which is really interesting, and how it shaped his life today and how, why he worked so hard and all that sort of thing. And then uh, later in the podcast, Kevin goes into his uh, experience, I guess, in the field in Nepal, in specifically Kathmandu, uh, where him and his team had to carry uh, their backpacks, which we live out of backpacks on the field. Uh, it's like 50-pound backpacks. They had to carry them over a river multiple times up to their chest. But anyways, you're going to hear about that more, so I don't want to give away too much. Um, and then he talks about doing uh, life with people, skateboarding with uh, locals, and, and a whole bunch of cool stuff that they're actually doing here in Costa Rica. And one of my favorite things that we talk about on this, this episode is how him and his wife work well together and how... Uh, they run this, this base themselves. And so anyways, that's about all I have for you today. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast again. It really means a lot and it's been a lot of work in the making, but we're here, we're starting it. And the goal is every couple weeks to get you out a new episode with somebody new, uh, whether it be somebody on my team, which I have 12 people on my team currently, or a stranger that I come in contact with in the field. Um, because really strangers are just friends that you haven't met yet. So anyways, without further ado, here is Kevin talking about what makes him come alive. And uh, yeah, here it is. Love you guys. Enjoy the podcast. We pass by hundreds of people in our daily lives. This led me to wonder what kind of stories do they have to tell? See, I believe that a stranger is just a friend that you haven't met yet. After all, all of your friends are once strangers, right? In this podcast, I sit down with people that I've just met, get to know them, and what makes them come alive. 
you might find that even though we have different life stories, we're really not that much different after all. This is the Hey Stranger Podcast. All right, so welcome back to the podcast. So I guess this is the first podcast. And um, yeah, so I'm sitting down with Kevin uh, here in Costa Rica. We just met about a week ago. Um, and he's kind of like the base leader for the world race, which we are currently on, um, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So Kevin, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit sure, and, and tell people about you. Sure. My name's Kevin, like Ryan just said, and I live here with my wife, Anna, and we've been living in Costa Rica now for just over a year. We just hit our first year marker and yes, we are the base leaders. And that, that really just means a lot of different things. Essentially, we are the ones who are majority at the base, like showing up at the base as base staff. Um, we, we have the privilege of doing teachings and impartations to squads that come through. We call them Activation Mondays, where we get to share what has been life bringing to us and, and just submit that to, to people that come through. and and then do ministry with people. And then the other stuff, the other side of the coin of being a base leader is logistical things like hiring translators, hiring a cook, hiring transportation, making sure people get paid, the bills are paid on time. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we do down here. And yeah, it's a, it's a real privilege to, to be able to get to sit down with you and, and to share a little bit of my life and my journey. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, we had a chance to sit down and learn from Kevin last week about some really, really cool stuff about like the, how the kingdom of God is about love. And, and this is by no means a, a Christian podcast. I am a Christian. You should know that. But um, you're going to meet a lot of people along the way that aren't Christian and just get mm-hmm. a chance to share their stories. Uh, but anyways, Kevin, so this is all about you today. Sure. Um, so I guess we can just start out with like, why are you the person you are today? Do you have mm-hmm. anything like when you were younger? Can you tell wow. us a little about your upbringing? Oh man, what a question. I need to think about that for a moment. You know, I really do feel like a lot of who I am is of course due to the influence of my friends, my family, definitely my family upbringing. But I think a lot of, and I don't really have a hard fast answer to like what what makes us the way we are, Mm -hmm. but I feel like much of who I am is simply just God-given and a gift. Of, of what he has he has given me so can you can you actually ask the question one more time yeah so I mean I guess we can just talk about to that way people can get to know you first before we dive into like the real deep stuff yeah. but like where'd you grow sure. up and sure. like what was what was it like growing up and like where you were okay so I don't know anything about you so this yeah I'm like really getting to know you so okay yeah so I was born in Washington state mm-hmm. my entire family is Canadian is that still going yeah okay <laughs> my entire family is Canadian my parents uh, came, they immigrated to the States. I am the son of immigrants. They are Canadian immigrants. It's, okay. It sounds kind of like a joke. <laughs> I, like, I forget my parents are from Canada usually. But uh, I was born in the U.S. and then around first grade, I moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I, I did most of my growing up in Colorado. And I really love the Pacific Northwest. The Pacific Northwest has my heart. And I remember when we moved to Colorado, we moved in the the time of the summer and it was I think in the midst of a drought mm-hmm. and everything was dead and thinking like why would anyone want to live here 
But little did I know, like, Colorado is one of, in my opinion, depending on what you're into, like, one of the coolest states. There's just so much stuff to do in Colorado. And so I really got into hiking 14ers and snowboarding. Um, but then I found this thing called the World Race. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I uh, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe I won't go down that, that path just quite yet. Because I feel like I'm, I'm just, like, skipping my, my entire life. <laughs> But uh, man, I, I, uh, I yeah, I have I have two great parents and two sisters, and I had a really great upbringing. I had um, a, a really healthy family that grew up. We weren't without problems, but I grew up in a, in a space of privilege where I like, didn't know, I didn't really know suffering. Um, but I just had I had a lot of good things going for me. Um, I don't know. I I'm trying to figure out like what what it is that we that I should speak on in this space because such a, such like a big thing. Um, well, I guess I could say what was it like growing up with like immigrant parents? Yeah. Like for me, my grandparents, uh, my grandmother, she her parents came from Italy, kind of a thing back yeah. in the day. But like uh, you spoke on like privilege and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But was it was there anything? I guess growing up with Canadian parents or what? What was that like? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly what it was like, just because I suppose it was just my experience. I don't have anything to to compare it to. But I mean, my parents are really polite. Uh, my my dad likes to brag that he he speaks the Queen's English uh, <laughs> with being Canadian, and that just in general, like if you ask or if you if you thank an American for something, they say mm hmm. Versus a Canadian will say, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that's just from my, from my father's mouth. But um, I don't know. I, I think more than being Canadians, it was just the kind of people they, they were. There wasn't, there, honestly, like, we can joke all day long. I don't think there was a huge amount of cultural difference from being my parents, from my parents being from Canada. But my dad was born in the middle of nowhere, British Columbia, okay. northern, or interior BC, and... He grew up with eight brothers and a sister, and he grew up on a cattle ranch. And so he was definitely school of hard knocks guy, uh, get her done, do anything in your power to, mm-hmm. to get the job done. And I just watched this movie, uh, Hell on High Water, okay. not so long ago, like I guess a year ago now, with um, Jeff Bridges and some other dude. And it's all about, it's a fictional story about two Texans who they're stuck in the cycle of poverty. And so what they do is they take matters into their own hand to reverse the cycle of poverty where they, they go and they start robbing really small banks so that they can give their son, this guy's son, a better future. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in, so in committing these petty crimes and doing these little thefts of these smaller banks, he's able to give a new future to his, uh, his son in a very unethical way. And I remember my, watching that movie with my dad and he almost like started crying because the movie resonated with him so much that he said that he had a similar drive not to commit unethical deeds, but rather that it was so ingrained to him that he's like, I will never be poor ever again. And I will do anything that I need to do to reverse this cycle mm-hmm. of uh, poverty that, that I had to endure as mm-hmm. he you know, grew up with not very much, which I think, which I think is like a pretty familiar narrative for mm-hmm. most of our parents, if not grandparents. Yeah. And, and so what I am just blown away by is the amount of work my parents, both of them, put mm-hmm. into 
to giving us a life where we we really just didn't know um, hardships. Yeah. Um, even if like we did experience hard times, um, they, they just I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but we just like never we never knew about the hard times that we went through because they just wanted to give us this kind of life. So I don't know if that's necessarily related to my parents being immigrants, but it's certainly related to the journey that my father had of being a country kid, uh, middle of nowhere Canada, to uh, just giving me an example of like, what it means to work hard and to get things done and to, and to not give up no matter how tough the circumstances are. So has your parents... Like your dad specifically, I guess, um, have they had a big influence on like how hard of a worker you are nowadays and like how your life is now? Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually was just talking to another guy here how, um, man, probably like a lot of young people, there, there is baggage that I carried for a while of things that I, that my parents did or the way my parents were that like frustrated me that I just carried around for a long time. And, um, what's really sweet is when you decide to get healed. And what I mean by that is when you decide to forgive, to revisit some of the memories that were challenging that you experienced with your father, your mother, or whoever else that's in your life that had a meaningful place to you. When you decide to, to forgive those spaces and to walk through pain, walk through hurt, I'm now in a place where I can like look at everything that my dad did and be like, oh my gosh, my dad was like trying his hardest and he was doing the best that he knew how. And he wasn't perfect, but now I just get to, I'm in a phase of my life where I get to just celebrate my dad all the time. And so with that time of celebration, I'm, I'm like oftentimes, like you asked, I'm like reflecting on what a hard worker he was. And he did, he did everything he had to do to, uh, to, for us to get by. And, and not just to get by, but to thrive. And so, yeah, I would say that's a huge influence on me. Um, and I think at, at its best, that can be a challenge to spur me on to, to, to not give up in times of storms and hardships. At the worst, it can be a comparison. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like, do I measure up to my father? That sort of thing. But yeah, I would say he's definitely inspired me uh, to, to be a hard worker because of the example he lived by. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I guess moving forward, like, um, what... So you mentioned you're the base leader now and everything like that. So you talked a little bit and you led into the world race. So um, I guess, like, can you share a little bit about how you found the world race and sure. adventures and everything? Yeah, yeah. I was jumping ahead there for a moment. But just to be clear, my, my wife and I, we both co-lead the, the base here. Mm -hmm. And I found adventures and missions through, and I found the world race through, uh, when I was living in Colorado, I was in my first year of community college getting my associate's degree in welding technology, just <laughs> fancy way to say I know how to weld, and went to school for it. But I went on, my sister, my oldest sister, who I was very tight with, she invited me out to a winter uh, snowboarding retreat with her young adults church group. And I went on it, uh, I don't remember where we went in Colorado, but maybe it was Steamboat Springs. and. There was a dude there, there was a couple guys, mm -hmm. and they just, I'd never met them before, and they were super wild, super fun, and my sister's like, hey, you should go talk to those guys, they've been to like 11 countries within a year, <laughs> and I was like, how is that even possible, and she's like, yeah, and it was a missions trip, mm -hmm. and so at that point in my life, as I was in my first year of community college, just out of high school, I had been doing a lot of soul searching, as a lot of, like, a lot of young people do, and I, I, um, I think there's some differences between Gen Z and, and being a millennial, 
and I think we're asking different questions and it seems like millennials from what I've understood are much more interested in finding their purpose in life mm -hmm. and in experiencing adventure. Whereas I'm, I'm not sure if Gen Z is into that as much anymore. They have different priorities, but I was very much oriented to like, I want to find the thing that the Lord is calling me into. And I want to be faithful to that thing. And I, I had sensed through a couple different trips that I had taken short, short term trips to like India, um, that he was giving me the opportunity to say yes to missions. Mm -hmm. And I, but I had no idea what that meant and mm -hmm. what that looked like in living abroad. And so I talked to these, these dudes and they're like, yeah, went to all these countries. It's called the world race. Go, <laughs> go, home, and, go home and Google it. And I was astounded that yeah. such a program even existed. And so I, this was 2010 and, oh no, that was 2011. But I, yeah, I looked it up and instantly in my spirit, I'm like, this is a thing that I want to do. And so the world race is a, a mission strip with adventures and missions where you go to 11 countries in 11 months um, and you serve with different organizations within the country and you you seek to see the uh, to see the kingdom established here here on earth and so that's how I was first introduced to it from that point on I was uh, I think I was actually I was either 19 or mm -hmm. freshly 20 oh, wow. when I, I think I might have been 19 when I found the world race and gap year program didn't exist which is another program adventures does uh, and so I, I finished my first year and then started my second year and before my second year community college started I was accepted to the world race and I uh, actually turned 21 on the world race. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was in the first two months. So, okay. Which I guess, I don't know if it's a thing anymore. I think it might be a thing, but yeah. they allowed me to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. So you said you had, before you had gone on mission trips, was that like when you were like 18, 19, you went to like Indian places like that? Yeah. So I had done those week-long summer trips right. with the youth group that probably had varying levels of success and I don't know I think overall like probably the the week long mission trips we did with the youth group I think they were okay mm -hmm. I'm hoping we didn't just go in and like paint people's houses for like the fifth time <laughs> which I mean that that definitely existed to some capacity on some trips but it was right after I graduated high school I was given the opportunity to go to India with a, with a man who used to live in India and who was a missionary there. And so he, he offered me to, uh, he let me come and I experienced it and it was, it was great. Um, and it, but it wasn't until I got home that I really felt some sort of like whisper into my spirit mm -hmm. to, to live for something more that, that, he, that there was an invitation from the Lord to, mm -hmm. to say yes to something bigger that I really wanted to say yes to. That was, that was bigger than, um, just trying to get a career and, um, get a big enough 401k or XYZ to, to retire when I'm 60 years old. Yeah, for sure. And so leading up to the race, you found the race from these guys. Mm -hmm. How did your parents feel when you initially told them about it? Did they know about it from before or how'd that work out? Yeah. So I really do. Like I said, I have pretty supportive parents and they were excited for me. Uh, back then, I think the bill was either 14500 or 15000 to go on the world race. Wow. That's still a lot of money back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which I know it's, like, it's a bit more now. But um, I, I told him, and my mom's like, first thing, she's like, okay, like, that's cool. Like, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to fundraise for mm -hmm. it. And she said, that's great. And my dad was into it. My mom was into it. Um, they, are, they are huge mission supporters. Okay. 
and so I don't know if they knew the full extent of what I was looking to do. I know they knew that I was pretty interested in exploring missions more at this point. So they didn't know if it would manifest into something long-term or not, but they just, yeah, they generally were just pretty supportive. I think they were the kind of parents that are like, shoot, if my, if my son wants to pursue the kingdom of God, like lucky us to have such a, a blessing of a kid who's pursuing these things versus mm-hmm. other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's cool. And did your sister end up doing any sort of mission trips or anything too? Yeah. My oldest sister, so I have two older sisters and my oldest one, she, she did, she's done a lot of like one week trips, okay. two week trips. Uh, I know she's, she's a nurse and she also got to like, live with a family. I think it was either in Ecuador or Guatemala. I can't remember which one, but they, she spent a season there doing learning under the, she apprenticed under a doctor there mm-hmm. for a season and practice her Spanish. So she's uh, not currently doing missions, but she, it's something that's been on our radar. Yeah, that's awesome. So going into the race and everything like that, you started in 2011, you mm-hmm. said. So what countries did you go to? And yeah. I guess what were the mo- couple most impactful ones to you? Yeah, here we go. So I yeah. went to Albania, Bulgaria, Romania, India, Nepal, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, the Philippines, Swaziland, and Lesotho. So that's Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, and Southern Africa. The, The biggest ones that stuck out to me, the ones that I enjoyed or whatever, I mean, you'll find once you finish this trip, people ask like, what's the best or which one was your favorite? And you're like, well, what, what is the scale? What's the metric we're using here? Like most beautiful country, coolest people, just most awesome experience, whatever. So it's hard to really pick, you know, a couple, but I really enjoyed the one that stuck out to me probably the most as far as just country goes is Mm -hmm. Nepal. That place was wild. Mm -hmm. I had, I had never been to another country like Nepal before. And India was, was of course crazy. I'd been to India. That was my second time going to India. But Nepal is, is just its own thing, especially if you go through Kathmandu. Mm-hmm. And Kathmandu, I just thought was the coolest place ever, though, of course, incredibly polluted. Um, it's just like a city jungle. Nothing really oh. seems to make sense. Roads going every which way. And um, a real eclectic mix of a backpacker culture who are like off on their way to go to like Everest base camp or other <laughs> treks that are other multitudes of treks that are yeah. available. And then this, uh, and then huge Hindu influence. And I think, I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's Buddhist as well. I just think I should know, but I don't know the answer to, uh, just a really, uh, big blend of different things going on in that place that make it really mysterious and interesting. Also very dark, mm-hmm. but beautiful country. If you can get away from the pollution mm-hmm. uh, for a while, my wife and I, my now wife and I thought that we wanted to move back there, but it's incredibly challenging to mm-hmm. live there um, as a foreigner uh, long-term. So Nepal was incredible. I loved it. That was also a month where I did the thing that I thought I was going to be doing more on the world race, mm-hmm. where I took a backpack, followed a, a Nepalese man into the middle of nowhere, yeah. and we ended up following this river to a little school in the middle of nowhere, and we had to cross this river like literally 14 times wow. uh, because... You'd walk on one side of the river, and then that side was no longer accessible to walk on. So you have to cross the river. Wow. And so, uh, and then at one point, the river's like up to our chest, and we're holding our backpacks over our heads. <laughs> and I, w- I was like with 
two teams, majority women, mm-hmm. many of which were not into this sort of thing. And so it just was a wild experience and making sure people don't get washed away. Yeah. Uh, so that was really cool. Another one was, um, my other probably favorite one was Lesotho, which is in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, completely surrounded by South Africa. And, or am I mixing up Swaziland? But regard, regardless, it's, it's next to, it's like in uh, South Africa. That's like a little mountain kingdom mm-hmm. and really beautiful place. When we went, it was cool, was not hot, partnered with an incredible organization down there. And it was also our, quote, manistry month where yeah. we got to spend the whole month just together as guys. And it was our last month in the world race. And so it was a really fun way to end where it was just a bunch of dudes who, while we love the women of our, of our squad, uh, we just were immersed all the time in tons of uh, tons of women. So it was a really fun change of pace to be just guys kind of broing out, doing construction. Mm-hmm. And there was like not a whole lot around, but mm-hmm. it was such a beautiful landscape. Uh, one of the fun things we got to do is we our host offered like, hey, this guy, he does paintball and he can bring all the paintball stuff to us. And so we got to play paintball in the middle of this valley surrounded by mountains That's crazy. in the wilderness and like try not to break a leg when you run, but, <laughs> but it was, it was super fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you just told a couple of stories. Is there one specific story that you can recall, like a really detailed one that's like, this is, was impactful or just mm. something adventurous or wild? Yeah. That's a really good question. Which one to share? Because there's so many, and yet and now it's been a long enough time where you start to unfortunately forget a couple. But maybe I will. I don't know. I think maybe one thing is is that as a Christian, your hope is that that you will get to be the vehicle that introduces someone to the to Christ mm. that you will get to be the person who gets to be a part of a moment in time where a person decides like yeah I want to try this mm-hmm. and I want to see what it looks like to to give my life to God to give my life to Jesus Christ and I only recall two two of those moments on the world race that I actually got to be a part of Mm-hmm. And, and one of them was, was when, which one to share? One of them was when I was in Cambodia in the middle of nowhere, uh, on the border of, well, of course it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. It was on the border of Thailand, but it was a dusty old town that people don't go to. Gringos, white people from the U.S., they don't, <laughs> you don't go there to have fun. <laughs> so, and so we were with our pastor that we were partnering with and we were going door to door meeting with people that this church has either had conversations with already or, or whatever. And, and we got to enter into this one's man in this one man's house. And I, I, I'm saying it the white person way I'm sure, but his name was Rotzenik. I still remember his name. And he, we, like, it was me and this other girl with our pastor. And we were just sharing about, about who Jesus was to us. And he like, he said, okay, I think I want to try Jesus. And I'm like, what like, <laughs> you do <laughs> I'm like almost like surprised because that up until this is like month eight or yeah. month something and that was the first time 
someone had actually said like this is something I want to try yeah and um and just being like oh my gosh I am on holy ground right now in this space like Jesus let me say the right words mm-hmm. and I just remember like it was actually a kind of a challenging moment because I'm like how do I put a bow on this of like how how do I try and bring my idea of who Jesus is into this this eastern place mm-hmm. and this man's cultural experience of spirituality like how do I how do I talk about Jesus yeah. and so I was just able to paint a picture of like because he said, I, I, I can't see Jesus. Like, how do I how do I know about him? Yeah. And so I just did my best to explain of like who Jesus has been to me. And then at that point, uh, after that, I was actually really grateful. <laughs> but then the pastor took the wheel. He's like, maybe I can share some things. I'm like, please do. Yeah. And so just because <laughs> I'm like, you know this context so much better than I do. But that was just a really special experience to me. I think, if anything, it really challenged me going forward. I don't think I was ill prepared. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's just it, the experience was what it was what it was. Mm-hmm. But it was a moment of recognition of like I need to be able to effectively share and I don't I'm not talking about some big theological doctrine, but rather just like what does it mean to me to be in relationship with Christ? And so that was like a a big moment for me like okay, like do I know like I feel all the fruits of being in love with Jesus, but mm-hmm. do I know how to articulate it? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was just a big moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the guy, I mean, of course, I don't know where he's at now, but that was the begin of, beginning of him saying like, I, yeah, I want to try this out. So wow. that was a special moment. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've had, and then you had a couple more of those experiences down the road, it sounds like, and everything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. been some more down the road. Yeah. And then, so continue on the race. Uh-huh. Uh, you met your wife on the race. That's right. Yeah. So at what point, can you share that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, man, her story's actually, her side of the story is better than mine, but <laughs> I will, I will maybe just mostly speak to mine where, I mean, I was a young dude, 20 years old going on the world race at the time, the world race was booming. Mm-hmm. Our squad had 50 people on it. Demasiado. It was too much and too many people, but as a young guy going to training camp, there was like three other squads there. So there's probably over 200 world racers at yeah. at training camp. Uh, maybe there was even five squads, I don't remember. But there are beautiful women everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, I am here for the world race and do the missions trip, like keep my head on straight. <laughs> but surely I was looking around and taking mental notes of like who, who, like, who was catching my eye. Mm-hmm. And so Anna, my wife now, uh, she caught my eye and she just seemed like a really laid back and fun person. I'm like, cool, puts in my back pocket. Like, I, she, doesn't mean, she doesn't know who I am. I don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and so I put that in my back pocket and, you know, the first, I don't know how, how deep I want to get into this story, but essentially it wasn't until month six that I like all of a sudden started to realize, oh, I like, really like this woman mm-hmm. and it's more than just some sort of flirtatious thing or like a physical attraction Mm -hmm. it it was it was those things and more and so i i let my squad my squad mentor know which is the guy who's back in the states who is our leader of the trip i let him know that hey man there's a girl i like and i i want to be respectful of of the 
of the rules and I've placed myself under the authority of adventures and missions at this time and I want to I want to be honorable mm-hmm. to, to the system that the Lord has put me in at this time. So I'm just letting you know, to, I guess, to keep me accountable. And so uh, really after that point, I didn't see her much mm-hmm. for the rest of the race because they our... split you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that and just like, just kind of naturally... Yeah. I don't even know if it was an intentional decision to split us up, but it's just the way the world race goes when you have a mm-hmm. big squad and there's multiple hosts to go to. Like, you might just see each other on travel day, like mm-hmm. for a split second, and like, all right, see you next, see you next next month or two yeah. months from now. But um, I mean, we kept in touch, mm-hmm. and then I think the biggest thing that drew me to Anna was that we had similar vision mm. outside of physical attraction. Number. That was the number one thing. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's like, that was the thing that drew me to her. So I don't have any shame about that. But it was our, it was our similar vision where we yeah. both wanted to live overseas. Um, we both wanted to, to not get stuck in the grind of, of being in the U.S. And it was other little small things along the way. It's like, oh my gosh, this is a person who I literally would just want to do life with. Yeah. And that was, that was really the biggest thing mm-hmm. uh, for us. And so... At final debrief, I don't I don't know what the rules are today, but I think it just depends on your on your leadership. But our leadership was like, yeah, I mean, if, if you when you make it to final debrief, if if you want to in, a, in an appropriate way, you can approach someone else and say like, hey, I'm interested in like taking you on a date, or I'm interested in talking about more what it could look like to pursue this thing afterwards after the race. Or are you even interested? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of had our own little. Uh, debrief <laughs> at final debrief where I asked her like can I take you out can I take you out for dinner and she said yes and so up until this point she had shared with me like hey I want to move back I want to move to Seattle after after the world race and I'm like why do you want to do that and she said I just feel like the Lord's calling me there and she's like what do you want to do after like after the world race I'm like well I don't know <laughs> because as once I'd moved to Colorado as a young person, I always had wanted to move back to Seattle. Like that was a dream of mine. Just yeah. for whatever reason, I wanted to go back. And all of a sudden, here's this woman that I want to do life with who says she wants to move to Seattle. And so I couldn't tell her that I wanted to move to Seattle too because that would be very telling and that would definitely betray um, myself to, to, to this system that I wanted to, to, to respect. Like, mm-hmm. I, didn't want to, I didn't want to allude too much like... The writing was on the wall at some point that I liked her. Like, yeah. It was pretty obvious and vice versa, I think. But we still just wanted to do our best to, to follow those rules. And so she'd been asking me like month eight, month nine, month ten, like, do you know what you're doing after the race yet? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll see. And she was actually getting really <laughs> upset with me. And so finally at this, as we're debriefing, I'm like, I want to follow you to Seattle. Is that okay? And she was pretty shocked by that mm. just because... It's a it's a big deal. Yeah. She's from she was from Michigan. I was from Colorado at the time, and very far apart. And then we would be both going to a somewhat now foreign place, even to me, which was Seattle. Uh, but she ended up saying yes, and we both moved out to Seattle, and we almost broke up. Uh, it got hard. We moved to Seattle. Uh, like I said, I had a remnant of community there from when I was in first grade, mm-hmm. like a remnant, and her it was all new to her. And here we are both looking for jobs, watching our bank accounts get smaller and smaller and just feeling like it's, it's not a healthy place to be because then all of a sudden Anna became my place of give me affirmation, give me fun, give me joy. Mm-hmm. And I became that place for her too. So we would be drained by the day 
have nothing left to give and then come to each other expecting something from the other person. Yeah. And it just, it wasn't healthy. And we started, as things started getting bad. Um, but it's kind of a funny story because the, when the turning point was, I feel like the Lord was telling me to let go. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And no way am I letting go because I like, I made a lot of effort to come out here. I'm going to make this thing work. I don't, I don't give up. Right. And so, but I just catch, Anna could tell something was wrong with me. She's like, what is going on? So finally I, was, I came out with it. I said, I just feel like God's asking me to let go of, of us. And she's like, so are you, are you breaking up with me? And I'm like, I don't know. And then we both just started crying. Mm. And it was right after that moment when like, when like the last tear fell that things almost instantly started getting better. And it was just, I, I don't know exactly what it is, what it was, but it was a space of being honest with one another and letting go and giving it back to God and something we never had control of in the first place. And I think once she realized I was willing to let go, yeah. there was just something shifted in both of us. And things got better, and six months later, we were engaged, and then we got married. <laughs> so a year after the race, you got married? Is that, is that uh, accurate? Or? Yes, we got home in June 2014. I think we were married in July of 2015, oh, wow. I, I think. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's <laughs> yeah, really cool. Sure. So since 2015 getting married and everything like that what did you what did you do after the race in that time yeah. were you going to school or yeah 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 so like i said i am a welder by trade yeah. and i am the son of a pipe fitter and the si the son of a plumber which is uh what my what my dad did uh in multiple contexts of the u.s and in canada and when we moved out to seattle my dad also just happened to moving back to Seattle with my mom as well. Uh, just really interesting timing. Uh, things were no longer working out in Colorado for work for him. So he was headed back to Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And he let me know, he said, Kevin, right now, Seattle is the most booming city as far as construction goes uh, in the entire US. Huh. And I think that shifts here and there. Maybe other cities overtake at different points. But at least around 2015, there were tower cranes everywhere in downtown Seattle, tons of work. And one of the biggest things, one of the biggest voids that my dad's generation is feeling right now is that there are no young, there's not many young skilled laborers, tradesmen rising up and kind of taking the mantle mm -hmm. of the older generation. Because most of us have been told to go to college. Mm -hmm. Most of us have been told to get a four-year degree. I don't have, there's, no, there's no problem with that, but there's just this huge void of people with uh, with young people and, and working in the trades. Mm -hmm. And so my dad said, like, listen, there's a great opportunity here for you to learn a lot. Uh, you can join a pipe fitting apprenticeship in downtown Seattle and you will make a ton of money and you'll you'll get great training, like I already said. And so I ended up, it's, it's all unionized there in Seattle for the most part. And so I ended up joining a union and became a, what's called a helper, where I, for three months, I just I drove I drove trucks in downtown Seattle, 24 foot flatbed trucks. That was terrifying in downtown Seattle, and just other things, being on job sites and being the grunt man. And then I tested into the, there's a whole program here, but I mm -hmm. tested in and in three months I was a I was a pipe fitter. And essentially, a pipe fitter is an individual. I think the easiest way I can describe it is number one, you're not a plumber. A plumber is oftentimes defined as you work with systems that go through the body, like like 
sewage and, and potable, well, yeah, sewage and uh, water. And uh, pipe fitters more, more so around comfort systems like heating and air conditioning, cooling things, cooling processes and heating processes. And so that can be anything from steam um, to like a condo job of heating and air conditioning. Anyways, so that was a five-year program I signed up to do, which mm -hmm. my life was supposed to be completely oriented towards this five-year apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And uh, three years into it, my wrists started hurting. Um, and I went and saw many doctors, went and saw the physical therapist for the Seattle Mariners. I went and saw uh, naturopaths, MDs. I had surgery to cut out a cyst that they found in my right wrist. Mm. That was where the pain was, where it was located. And so they mm -hmm. figured maybe that's it. Um, I had shots into my wrists. I had massage therapy. I had, I had the whole gambit, ac acupuncture. Nothing was bringing relief. And so, um, man, just through a lot of soul searching and lots of mourning, I decided to pull the plug on the apprenticeship with my wife. and. We ended up going to a school in Spain, a discipleship school instead, which is called G42. So I don't know if that answers your question for yeah. the time that I yeah. went. No, totally. And then Seattle. I would love to get into G42 sure. a little bit too, because I know that that has been a huge impact for you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people and maybe even past mm -hmm. racers or future racers that are listening to this and want to know what more about G42 is, yeah. or people even on the race that are, you know, thinking about something like after the race already, so. Yeah, yeah, G42, man, it's hard for me to put into words and I don't feel like I can understate the transformation that I experienced there. The biggest telling thing for us was that Anna and I would hear from people who had done both the world race and G42. And of course, these were people who had positive experiences on the world race. And they said, I thought the world race was the best thing I'd ever done in my life. Turns out there was something even more transformational and better, which was G42 in Spain. And I would remember thinking, how can that even be possible? I mean, yeah, Spain's beautiful, but in a classroom setting, like how? That doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. Like I just got mm -hmm. to go to 11 countries. Um, I actually got, got to go to 12. Mm -hmm. And then all the countries you pass in between. And so it didn't make any sense to me, but we went and checked it out. And it was a, it was a really incredible place to ask the questions, the really heavy questions about God and about life that maybe don't feel safe to ask in most Christian circles. It's a place of deconstruction and reconstruction and a, a safe place to tear down what's no longer working for you and your faith and asking like god like who who are you and in a nutshell it was a place where i feel like i was given the tools and the resources to weather the storms of life and to keep going and to not give up when, when times get tough keep going there's a saying that comes from G42 and it's, it's Jesus you get for free, mm -hmm. Christ will cost you everything. Mm -hmm. And it's that probably the majority of North American Christians, I will say this, that the majority of North American Christians have said yes to Jesus. They've come in, they said, Jesus you get for free, thank you Jesus, I receive you. But then there's no transformation in their life. They've, they've said a nice prayer, they have received Christ, they've received Jesus into their life, and there's, but then they go back and just do their normal daily life, their normal routines, and nothing really actually changes. There's a verse where Paul says to the church, 
I am like a woman in travail until I see Christ formed in you. I am like a woman in labor pains until I see Christ formed in you. And I don't know how Paul could have known that since he's a man, <laughs> but, but uh, there's something really interesting there where he is going through extreme pains until you look like Christ. Mm. And so, so many people say yes to this Jesus narrative, but then they don't let Christ come in and transform them where they give away everything. They give yeah. away their rights to God to, to do whatever he asks them to do and mm-hmm. to become the face of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I think I, I got to learn about some concepts of maybe the point isn't just to get everyone to say the right prayer in, mm-hmm. in the world but it's to see Christ formed in people. Yeah. And it all of a sudden gave me a heart, not just for the people like, that are unreached, but it, it caused me to, to re-look back on Christian culture and on church culture and ask like, man, is Christ being formed in these people? Uh-huh. Like, like I, I believe that they've given their, themselves to Jesus. I'm, I'm not gonna say, no, your, your relationship with God isn't real. I'm not interested in having that conversation, but you don't look like Christ. Yeah. And for me to be able to say that, I have to also be accountable. Like, do I look like, we also started saying this thing, am I Kevin Christ? Do I have the identity of, of Christ in me? Yeah. And so, yeah, those are just some of like the, the, the foundational principles that I got from G42. If I, could, if I could put a nice bow on this, I probably learned, I learned what it looked like how to be. Mm. So much of my Christian upbringing and, and culture I was immersed in, Christians like, were supposed to be doers. And well, of course, there needs to be manifestations of the Holy Spirit, of the fruits of the Spirit, and going out and loving and giving love away. Um, you, you, can't, you can't do that effectively if you're on an empty tank and you don't receive love from God and you yeah. don't know how to be a son, you don't know how to be a daughter, you don't know how to be a child of God. Yeah. And so that was... Probably the biggest concept was I learned how to just be and to cease striving and to even, in fact, stop trying to love God and let God love me. That Those were just some of the biggest things I got from G42. Wow, that's so good. And now you're doing this whole bass thing yes. and you're teaching this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, so what is, how does that feel to be like full circle? I mean, I guess we can talk about first how you came to the base. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, how long after G42, living in Spain and living this crazy, mm-hmm. amazing life, like how long after that did you end up being like, oh yeah, we're gonna run the base in Costa Rica? Yeah, that's a good question. Essentially, Seth Barnes came out to do a week of teaching at G42. Seth Barnes is the, the CEO, I think that's his title. He's the main dude at Adventures and <laughs> Missions. And the format of G42 is essentially there's a new teacher every single week and he was the guest teacher for that week so he okay. came out we had just finished our practicums that's a space where we go out we're sent out for three months to go give what we had learned in the first three months away okay and so we went to Mesa Thailand we returned from the border of uh, Thailand back to Spain there here's Seth and Seth's hey I Seth says I have been following your journey I've been following your blog posts with this organization and you've done a really incredible work there. Mm. Would you be interested in, in partnering with us? And so Anna and I had a vision for hospitality, for having a, maybe our own guest house one day and, and using that guest house 
as, as an avenue to employ people that have been oppressed uh, to some, in some factor, to employ oppressed people, whether it's they've been trafficked or abused or whatever. And, but we have no idea how to do that kind of stuff. Right. Like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to begin that kind of stuff. And so we were encouraged that you should really go and serve, and not everyone has this journey, but you should really go and serve someone else's dream, someone else's vision before you try and do your own. Um, because that way, you, it's almost like an, an apprenticeship. You get to yeah. go and you get to go learn from people, learn from the mistakes that have already been made before you. So you don't have to go, and, go out and make your own destructive <laughs> mistakes. And though, this, of course, the mistakes belong in the process. And so we're like, well, this isn't exactly what we thought it would be if we were to go and work with adventures. But two things resonate with us. One, we'd be able to give away this, this message we'd received from this school in Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we would be doing hospitality. So the base in Costa Rica is a place where uh, world racers like yourself, both uh, the gap year world racers and older world racers, uh, they come through and they come and live in our base and we connect them with missions in Costa Rica. And like you said, we get to invest in them and, and pour into you guys and, and experience a little bit of life with you. And um, so it just made sense for us. I, I was going somewhere with that, but it made sense for us to come down into this space, do hospitality and give the message away to people who come and live at the base. And the way we chose Costa Rica versus another place or other places rather was that just that there was a huge need on staff here in Costa Rica. It's also a huge benefit. It's very close to the U.S. We're not mm -hmm. super far away. Just we're not like super oriented towards going to a really far away place. Maybe I was when I was younger, like really passionate about 1040 window stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a location on a map. Um, latitude, longitude, uh, 1040. And yeah, we just, we had our priorities to go where there's need, to go where the Lord tells us to go. And yeah. this was the window that opened up in front of us um, from someone who was in authority over us in our lives. I'm really big on authority now too these days. And so I trusted this person named Seth Barnes and the people at G42 saying like, yeah, if you go to this place in uh, Costa Rica, you have the opportunity to do these things. And so that's why we said yes. There was, there was hardly anyone on staff in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. They needed help. So we came down here and we uh, were, we're doing the thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And this base here is one of the most beautiful I, I mean, it doesn't get much better than this on <laughs> yeah, the race, thanks, I'm sure. Man. I mean, you've yeah. been you've been to a lot of places. I mean, to let you guys know, they they actually asked us to bring a tent with us on the race. That's right. Um, so there's times where we might be camping out, mm -hmm. um, literally carrying a tent around the world uh, and living out of a backpack. It's pretty awesome. Right. Um, but yeah, this place is beautiful. You wake up every morning. Um, you have an actual bed. You have an amazing cook who makes you breakfast yeah, and, yeah. and everything. And then you walk out to the back patio and it's this amazing view of the mountain and you're sitting on porch swings and just hanging yeah. out and doing life with people. Um, and having base hosts like you and Anna has been such a blessing because wow. you, you get this, like, we get to see how you guys live as a couple hmm. and how you honor her as a guy. There's only two guys on our team, um, <laughs> which World is crazy. Race. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, if you're listening to this, step up and come and take nice take man. the challenge and go yeah. on the race because um, we need more male missionaries. We need more men to lead the household and to to get rid of this whole fatherless generation that's, that's going good, on. Brother. And it's just not in America, but it's all over the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's been such an honor to just be here with you guys and hmm. to just see you guys do life. I mean, the other day when we were you were doing the teaching, you asked us to pray for your wife first. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. That was really great uh, to see that kind of stuff. So. 
Wow. So we really love that. Thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will say this place is uh, bougie. This is, <laughs> our, our base is bougie by world race standards. Yeah. And so I do hope for your benefit because it's exactly what I was, was seeking as a, as a man on the world race. Yeah. I was looking to rough it. Yeah. So I do hope you are able to experience those precious moments as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that true abandonment. I mean, actually having flushable toilets, which by the way, you said you're not really a plumber, but you have some experience with snaking yeah, toilet yeah, paper out of there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got to snake the toilet once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so G42, that happened how long after every, like between the race, I guess? And, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, so we finished World Race, June 2014, mm. and we went to G42, October of 2018. Wow. Uh, yeah, so really, we didn't, we finished G42 not that long ago. Yeah. I think it was 2018. Uh, no, it would have been October 2017, finished in 2018, and then within like six months or so, by the end of the year, we were in Costa Rica Dang. in 2019. That's so cool. It was a very quick turnaround. That is quick. Yeah. 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 Part, I mean, part of what, well, man, what's been so cool about being just in partnership with my wife, Anna, is that we've really got to learn what it means to work as a team. We've been given a blessing of being, being partners and really co-leading. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I do believe in, in male leadership and I will preach that oftentimes we... A little bit of a sneak peek. Oftentimes we can tell the health of a squad mm -hmm. based on how the men are doing, mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't want to admit that, mm -hmm. but uh, it's just because women look to the men, whether, mm -hmm. whether we want to say that or not, like it's, it's just what we've seen. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what we've seen over and over again. So if more often than not, if the men are healthy, if the squad leaders are healthy, the squad's going to be healthy too. Mm -hmm. But where I'm going with this is that... Um, Yes, I, I am like the leader in our, in our relationship. It's a both-and thing. Right. I really believe God's a both-and God. And so what I mean by that is I think I do carry some special leadership within our marriage, but the, the joy of marriage that I've experienced is that Anna and I, it's not me out in front of her. It's, mm -hmm. it's really us alongside one another yeah. uh, co-leading and making decisions together. It's... Um, She's not a homemaker. Right. I, will, I will say that Absolutely. for sure. My wife is not a homemaker. She's out on the front lines with me. And there are times where I'm submitting to her as we submit to one another mm -hmm. in love. Uh, there are there's so many times where I'm like, you're right. You got it. Like this, we're going to mm -hmm. go this way, not this way. Not the way that I wanted to go. But um, I was going somewhere with this. And then I could just start talking about my wife. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that I've had so much fun partnering with her because I was going to talk about the quick turnaround. Yeah. From, from getting from G42 to here. And it's that my wife was in advertising and marketing before okay. the world race. And so she has this really, this gift and this trained eye of like what is aesthetically pleasing when you're looking at a computer screen right. or when you're looking at a company. And so we, she has this gift for marketing and advertising and I just kind of have, and she has this too, hear what I'm saying. But I have like, this pleasure in, in being faithful in the small details and doing the nitty gritty things over mm -hmm. and over and over and over again, the tedious things. Like, yeah. I kind of like that stuff. Not always. It depends on the context. But we had favor in getting to Costa Rica really quick and getting fully funded for G42 really fast before mm -hmm. we left for G42. And what that came from was two things. Was one, a willingness to work hard and be faithful in the small things. Uh, Anna's also, Anna's attention to detail was well with uh, with advertising and marketing, 
and favor. Did I say that? I feel like I'm being redundant. Working hard and favor. And so we we just we got here really quick because we sent out like we sent out like 250 handwritten letters to to potential supporters. We followed up with with phone calls and we asked people specifically, "Will you join us on this journey? Will you Will you, we would be honored to have your support. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we even say a specific number. We'd be honored to have your support at this amount a month. Yeah. What do you say? And like, shut up <laughs> and like, let them respond. And so it's been so much fun doing this thing in tandem with my wife because we work really well together and we have the favor of the Lord on us for whatever reason uh, to, to receive help in, in the form of finances to get us here to Costa Rica. And so that was why that quick turnaround happened was yeah. because of that relationship Anna and I have together in, in favor. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I'll say this too, like with fundraising, you've done a ton of it. Mm-hmm. I've done, I mean, now the race is about $20,000, yeah. which if you're listening to this, you're like, holy moly, $20,000, that's <laughs> a lot of money. And yes, it is a lot of money. But if we're completely honest, one, to live around the world for yeah. a year, that's really, really, really cheap. Really good. And here at your base, we eat really well. Yeah. Um, Thanks, even though it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> on the, for lunch and stuff. But it's, contradictory it's there. good. It's good. Uh, maybe you want to fast for that lunch. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's it, it's just this life of abandonment. Mm. And like you said, I think you hit it nail on the head earlier. Like It's just that saying yes, and then you find favor in that moment. Yeah. And and again, like you guys are a partnership, and it's so cool to see your guys' gifts come together in that that submission. I think one thing you did really well the other day was like saying, oh, yeah, go see Anna for like finances and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. you empower her in that, and you don't try to answer yourself. You, You send people directly to her, which... Uh, being in the world and stuff like that, like I've always seen leaders like, oh, let me find that out for you. But oh, you're like, okay. like, just go to her directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you guys work really well. You guys know your roles, but you also seem to really submit to wow. one another in a really cool way. For the short time we've been able to hang out with yeah. you guys because you're always so busy. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, it's just been really cool to see that as a guy because I think for me, traveling on the race, like just being us two, Connor and I, we really... Yeah focus on like the guys that we get to see and really try to like learn wow. how to be a future husband or you know brothers and stuff like that and how men just honor each other so that's super good really man. Cool to see that well thanks you honor me a lot in saying all those things it's it's a lot to receive so thanks yeah yeah <laughs> no problem and so going forward with I mean, obviously, as Christian missionaries, mm-hmm. we often say we have like a year or we don't know what God's going to do next. But do you have a vision for this space? Sure. Do you have a something you want to, place you want to take it? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, we've literally made a three-year commitment to being down here, which mm-hmm. we've, we've finished the first year and we have two years left on that commitment. And once that commitment is up, we just reevaluate, hey, do we, do we commit to X amount of more years being here or... We move on. Right now, there's there's no plans to move on. So that's kind of cool. But um, as far as actual vision of, of what we want this base to be, that's definitely a work in progress. If you look at other bases uh, with adventures and missions around the world, they do have a specific product that they're producing, or rather they have a ministry that they're giving themselves a way to. Mm-hmm. And so we're figuring out what it is the Lord has for Costa Rica adventures and missions. And so right now we heavily rely on our strategic partners mm-hmm. with other organizations that are around Costa Rica saying, Hey, 
we we get manpower that comes through our base and we want to service again there's that that language we want to service your dream how you can bring the kingdom of god in, into costa rica and at the end of the day we believe nationals can do that better than us yeah. anyways yeah. but we we still as north americans we get to be a blessing and come alongside them and offer that help we have a lot to give mm -hmm. and we shouldn't stray away from that we do have a lot to give i will never debate on whether or not of co i mean of course nationals can do it better but we still have a ton to give right. but uh, as far as a, what a product we want to produce you know you, you've already seen with activation monday a little bit and as we get more people who come on staff here a lot of our hearts are just such that we want to pour into the participants that come through here. And we want to see Christ formed in people. We want to see people um, step into the resources, the heavenly resources that the Lord gives to be able to weather any storm in life and to keep going and to not give up. I think that's a lot of our hearts. But outside of that, the one thing that we are currently are producing, I'm using uh, quotation finger marks here, uh, is that we have a skateboard ministry. Yeah. Uh, which you guys haven't seen yet, but maybe you, I think you get to see it this next week. And we we go to a nearby skate community where there's there's young dudes around 18 years old who just skate like all day. Mm -hmm. And in this community, it used to be it literally used to be on the side of a landfill, mm -hmm. and the government covered the landfill with a patch of grass. There, oh yeah, we're, we're, oh yeah, there in this neighborhood, there are churches like on every corner. There mm -hmm. are churches everywhere, but when you go to the skateboard community, there's no church people hanging out with the skaters. There's no, I mean, there could be, but we're not seeing uh, Christians going into this space and becoming friends with these skaters and spending time and getting to know them and, and developing relationships. And so maybe eight months ago, we just started showing up at the skate park and started being a friend to these guys and started asking, what is, what is your dream for your community? And they said, we want to have a skateboard competition in, in Tierrasis is the name of the area. And they said, okay, like, how can we partner with you guys in that? And so we had a friend, we have a friend who works for the municipality here and we partnered with her, we partnered with the skaters and we were able to throw on a skateboard competition yeah. in November, this past That's November, cool. 2019. Uh, we had a ministry from Florida come out called Ride Nature. And they literally, they do a lot of things, but one of the things they exist to do is they, they go to other countries, they put on skateboard competitions, yeah. they preach the gospel. Dang. It's like, whoa, this is exactly like what yeah. I need. And one of the guys is named Brooks. Brooks also went to G42. Dang. And so though I didn't know him personally at the time, it was like perfect instant connection. And so Brooks came down with another young guy and they, they helped us with the skateboard competition. They brought down really quality skateboards. Uh, for the for the prize for the prizes for whoever won, and we we did this thing. Two hundred people came, and right before we handed out prizes, mm -hmm. I got up on a chair, and for forty five seconds in my best Spanish, I shared about God's love wow. to the community, and and said in the same way I said, in the same way that we want to build relationships in this community with you skaters, I believe that God is wanting to start a new relationship with you today, yeah. and um, that's the thing that. I was never seeking out, but for whatever reason, skateboarding ministry is, is something that's happening. And so I really just want to be faithful in those things mm -hmm. and continuing to show up with the skateboard ministry. But 
I'm also in like looking into I, because I'm a welder and I have a I have a couple welding machines down here that were donated to me now. Uh, I am interested in teaching some of these skaters skills um, in how to weld because wow. they want to weld a handrail they can grind on with their yeah. skateboard and, and starting there as a platform. Yeah. So the vision is is to develop that space, develop relationships, and just see where see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm really oriented to just being faithful in that area. Yeah. So I think that some people listening to this, if they're not Christian or they're not like us, yeah, they might listen to what you're saying and be shocked because sure. some people in America and other countries even they see us Christians as people who stand on a street corner and preach the gospel yeah, yeah, or yeah. turn to Jesus so you're going to burn kind of a thing. Wow. But what you're talking about is more of a, a relationship. Can you speak right. into that a little bit? Yeah, well, let's look at, um, I think it's John seventeen three, where Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life, Jesus is saying, is to be in relationship with the living God. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I believe in in the conversation of what happens after you die. That I, I'm, I still grapple with a lot of these things, but I know there are destinations after after death, mm-hmm. like heaven and hell. But I, I believe much of what Jesus talked about was about the here and the now, and that eternal life starts here and now. Yeah. And so... I just think it changes the entire context of what eternal life is when it's framed within, um, it's with, it means to know God. And there's, there's, a, there's a man in the Bible, Abraham, in the Old Testament, and it talks about him being a friend of God. And that was a brand new concept in that time where Abraham was surrounded by pagan culture and then this God reaches out to him and speaks to Abraham and Abraham listens to him and he's counted as righteous because he believes this God and all of a sudden scriptures are talking about how Abraham was called a friend of God like that was not a thing in that culture in that time mm-hmm. gods are the divine being up in the sky with someone you offered sacrifices to probably child sacrifices to and all of a sudden we have a picture of a god who wants to be a friend with man like that was a new concept and so so much of my heart when i talk about god and when i when i introduce people to god is talking about the here and the now and talking about how god wants to be a friend of yours and that there is eternal life there is there is something special on offer to you right here in this, and right now in this space. It's not about going someplace after you die. I believe that heaven is a beautiful byproduct, but I don't think it's the point. And I think Christianity has turned into say the right prayer so you'll go to the right place. And it's a transaction. It's not transformational. Yeah. I'm so much more interested in having a conversation about transformation and being transformed into something beautiful, something new, which is a person who is in Christ. And so, yeah, that's, and, and you know, as I'm talking to you about this stuff, I'm really working out my own theology. Mm-hmm. And so this, I am, I am a work in progress, but I've just seen, and I don't want to, I don't want to put one uh, heavy statement across the board because I, I've seen 
times and times before where people say a prayer and mm-hmm. then that's the beginning of transformation. I never yeah. ever want to minimize that because that's a very yeah. sacred and special space. But I've also seen many times where turn or burn mm-hmm. is preached and people are scared into the kingdom. And I think fear will take you to the cross. Mm-hmm. Fear will, will take you to God, but it won't keep you there. Mm-hmm. Fear might be a great motivator for a moment of like, I don't want to go to this place, so yeah. I'm going to go to this God. And so out of fear, because I don't want to go to hell, I run to the foot of the cross. Yeah. But I've, I've just seen in North America, the fear doesn't keep people in that space. The mm-hmm. fear wears off. Life keeps going. There's no transformation. This is whatever. And then people forget. And then they go back to whatever they were doing before. Yeah, yeah that's so good. That's so good. Um, so as we wrap this thing kind of up, I have a couple more questions. First of all, if you had to give advice mm-hmm. to like your 10-year-old self or sure. your 20-year-old self, Gosh. what would you say? Oh, man. Man, I think if I thought about it long enough, I'd probably start crying. Um, you know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind or my spirit when I when you ask that question is just looking back on my 10-year-old self and like telling myself, take a deep breath relax. Everything is going to be okay. I, as a younger person, I really, I, I've always had a, a pretty sensitive spirit. I know that about myself. I think I cried pretty easily as a kid. And I, I really wanted to make sure I was believing the right thing, I think, when I was younger. And I wanted to make sure I was doing things right to to have the favor of God. I probably wouldn't use these same words as a, as a 10 year old, but I, I wanted to make sure that I was doing things right. And that, and that came from like a good part of my heart. Mm-hmm. But I, w- I think I just would get stressed out at times of like, oh God, like I had this thought or oh God, I did this thing. Like, I hope I'm not gonna fall from your grace. And so I didn't have a big enough concept of how loving how loving God really is and how wonderful he is to us and how tender he is to us and how, how the, 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 the destructive things that we go to in life aren't the things that define us. Mm. And I just would tell myself to relax, take a deep breath. God is so big. He's unending grace, unending love. He is so kind to us. He is a friend of man. He is Mm -hmm. a friend to us. And yeah, nothing, nothing more than that, but just, you know, everything's going to be okay. That's a pretty dang good theology, I think, yeah. is, hey, everything is going to be all right in the end. And I, I kind of wish I would have known that more, but it's also just the process of growing up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So is there anything else you want to share before we dive into a little bit of trivia? Uh, no, man, I think you've asked great questions. <laughs> I've definitely found myself, you know, getting a bit more comfortable as time gone on in this yeah. interview. I think in the beginning, I was a bit more choppy. But no, I'm good. No, you did great. Especially, uh, it's encouraging to me since um, you're the first person on the podcast. So, well, yeah. What an honor. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to look like an idiot, man. <laughs> oh. I hope no Costa Ricans listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, kind of was thinking about this podcast and I wanted to end it in a way with each person. As you guys know, it's called Hey Stranger, where we talk about yeah, people yeah. along the way and as I travel on this 11 month journey. So, 
Uh, as Kevin recently moved to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to test a little bit of his skills and oh in trivia on, uh, on Costa Rica. So I wouldn't have showed up if I knew this was happening. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All right. So there's uh, five questions. Okay. All right. The first one is Costa Rica is second is the second largest exporter of what? A bananas. B coffee. C cigars. Wow. Second largest importer. Mm-hmm. Exporter. Um, exporter, of course. Um, not cigars. I think it's. I think it's bananas. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Chiquita banana, baby. <laughs> good. I mean, you're starting off good. Yeah. So that's all right. right. I don't know. Are they all multiple choice? Uh, no. Some oh, are true or false. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true, true or false. false. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, number two. Costa Ricans refer to themselves as what? A. Ricans, B. Ricos, or T. C. Ticos. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay. See, you're doing well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Build my coffee. Yeah. Up. There you go. All right. So these next ones are yeah. Next two are true or false. All right. Okay. Most Costa Rican women maintain their maiden name for life. True or false? They do. Yeah. See. Yeah. You see, you know it better than you thought. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Right, stroking my yeah. here. See, they're gonna Costa Ricans can listen to this and then, you know, get more faith in you. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> Maybe I do know something. All right, true or false? Costa Rica is home to a lizard known as the Jesus Christ lizard that can walk on water. <laughs> uh, okay, um, I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah <laughs> nice. It's pretty crazy. It can actually run on water. Yeah. For a pretty far distance. I have not seen one. I just heard about them yeah. in the past year. So I'm like. Yeah, I think they're here. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you're four for four. All right. All right. Let's try to make it a perfect 100%. Okay. All right. Uh, multiple choice. Costa Rica has A, one of the largest military forces, B, one of the smallest militaries, or C, no military. They don't have a military. Yeah? Yeah. That's right. Do you know the history behind that? Uh, I don't remember what year they got rid of it. It was a while ago mm-hmm. now. Um, I don't know if it was in the early 1900s or late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember the reason why they disbanded other mm-hmm. other than they're like, oh, I don't think we really need these guys anymore, <laughs> so let's just get rid of them. I don't think anyone has a reason to attack Costa Rica. That's right. And if they did, I'm pretty sure the U.S. would intervene. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a peaceful place. You know, yeah. the people are some of the most kind people, I think, in the world. And and uh, I think that people come in here and anybody's willing to have a conversation. Yeah. It's such a, such a cool thing. But, yeah, man, I just want to thank you for your time and... and coming on this and being the first guest and being patient and everything like that. I'm glad oh, it was sure, able man. to work out. Yeah. Um, and I'm just excited for what you and your wife are going to do here. I think that you guys just watching you interact with a lot of the locals, especially like um, the cook and Alfredo mm. and everything like that. Like, I think that you guys have a, a personality, especially with the young adults and stuff. I think you're going to really bring a lot of light here and, and really change some lives wow. since you have already. So. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And again, I, I feel very honored by you. And I hope your podcasts by the end of the year or by the end of your 11th month journey are just like even better than this one. They just keep getting better and better. <laughs> yeah, man. Hopefully we get to hang out again soon one day. So cool. Anyways, thanks for being on here. And uh, thanks, guys. We will catch you later. Have a good day. Right on. 
All right. So that's about all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much again for listening to the podcast. Uh, I had a ton of fun sitting down with Kevin and talking with him about his life. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that too. Uh, Hey, also one last thing. If you want to hear more about what Kevin and Anna are doing in Costa Rica, go ahead and check out their website. It's Kevin, K-E-V-I-N Johnson. So it's K-E-V-I-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N dot myadventures.org. So it's kevinjohnson.myadventures.org. And on there, him and Anna uh, have a blog where you can check out more about what they're doing here in Costa Rica. And if you want, you can even support their ministry here uh, where they need some help uh, because doing ministry like this is not free and it does cost money. So if you want to support them, feel free to just click the donate button on there. But I highly suggest subscribing to what they have to offer in the sense of like the stories and stuff they have on there. So you can click subscribe and you'll be able to follow up and see what they're doing here in Costa Rica. Anyways, love you guys. Have a great day and we'll see you at the next one.